Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins, and it's great to have your company. This is a podcast about the Camino de Santiago, a series of pilgrimages across Europe. Pilgrims walk for a range of reasons. Some walk for redemption, others walk to pray, some to sing, some to write a book, some to escape the pressures of their day job. Actually, come to think of it, the one thing you don't hear very often on the Camino is, what do you do for a living? Because it doesn't matter if you're a doctor, a nurse, a cobbler, or a farmer. You're welcome to your journey, your pilgrimage, however you come. It's your Camino. And I spoke last week about taking the time to ring the bells somewhere near Zubiri, And as always, my listeners are my best researchers. It was, in fact, at Zambaldika. And I'm grateful for my friend and former podcast guest, Tom Labazinski, for sending me a picture of him ringing that bell. It's between Zubiri and Pamplona. I'm most grateful for Tom's scholarship. And I'm determined to get back there to ring the bell myself one of these days. Actually, ringing a bell is a very neat metaphor for what we're talking about this week. It's a phrase that describes something that causes someone to remember something, something that jogs one's memory. And people write to me all the time to say the podcast takes them back to the Camino. They say they can relive their experience. They can each week allow their consciousness to return to the Camino de Santiago, that place many call our spiritual home. And there's been a lot of talk here in Australia, and indeed around the world, about values lately. I'm no scholar, but I know the values I was taught as a child were based on the values of Christianity. We were raised to believe in Christ's teachings. And I've said here many times, Christ's message was about love. And it's love that motivates many pilgrims. A love they perhaps didn't even know they possessed. They might take someone's pack for them and carry it for miles. They might give up the last bed at the albergue to a pilgrim limping into the town square. And it always has fascinated me, this pilgrim courtesy because we wouldn't necessarily be quite so generous at home. But many of us take that message home with us. It's why people say your Camino begins once you arrive in Santiago. It's the hills you climb at home that will challenge you. The steep descents, the rocky path, the stumbling, tripping, falling over yourself. And it's the devotion to others, that essence of Christ's love, that will make the climb easier, the road and descent smoother, and life a pilgrimage to enjoy. I think in many respects we are responsible for a lot of the pressure we place on ourselves. We are the ones placing unreasonable burdens and expectations on ourselves. We are the ones who let what we do for a living define us when it oughtn't. Forget about what we do for a living... Focus instead on what we do for a life. Being a son, a daughter, a mother, a father, a grandfather, 
grandmother, a carer, a sharer, a pilgrim. I'm fascinated by the Camino family and how it wraps the globe in its hands. And I'm fascinated by what pilgrims are able to achieve. I remember walking past pilgrims thinking, they won't last another day. Then I'd see them later, sometimes weeks later, walking strong, pushing on. I saw couples walking together. I saw pilgrims become couples. I saw mothers walking with sons, mothers walking with daughters, fathers walking with sons, and fathers walking with daughters. I don't have a daughter, but I do have a granddaughter, but no daughter. But I remember years ago, I saw a framed sign in one of my old girlfriend's rooms. It said, Fathers, be your daughter's first love and she'll never settle for anything less. I was intimidated to say the least. (laughs) Well, my guest this week is an Irish pilgrim who walked the Camino with her father and they went on to write a book about it. Natasha Murta is on the line from Ireland. Welcome, Pilgrim. Hello. Thank you very much for having me from one pilgrim to another. Yeah. Before we get to the Camino, my first glimpse of you and your social media suggested you were in Guatemala. What, is an, what was an Irish pilgrim doing in Central America? Well, I suppose I am... Um... When I graduated from university here in Ireland, I always wanted to uh, go traveling. And what I thought was going to be six months uh, ended up being four years trotting around the world. And um, it started in Africa and it ended with two years in Guatemala because Guatemala was a country that had everything for me um, from the sea to the mountains to the jungle to volcanoes. And that is exactly what I ended up being, a volcano tour guide in Guatemala. <laughs> a volcano tour guide in Guatemala. Mm-hmm. That's quite yeah. the business card. Yeah, it is. And even now, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, home, I'm home back in Ireland, I think, three years. And even now saying it, it still makes me kind of go, what the hell is that about? Um, but... It was, I guess, my love for hiking and, um, you know, adventure uh, landed me in that job. And it really was. I'd never been to Guatemala um, ever and I had no uh, intentions of staying there. I didn't know anything about Guatemala, to be honest. I was making my way. I was making my way up to Mexico to catch a flight back to Ireland because I'd been gone for quite a while and, you know, money was scarce and um, a flight back to Ireland from Mexico was the cheapest because it was the shortest distance. So I gave myself two months to get from Colombia all the way up to Mexico to make that flight and I never left Guatemala. How fantastic. That's so great. I know I know that spirit of, of adventure and we're going to talk about it throughout the course of the, the podcast. I said earlier, you walked with your father, Peter. So let's mm-hmm. let's go back, um, cast our minds back. Whose idea was this pilgrimage, this Camino? It was my father's idea. Um, I'll actually never forget the day that he um, asked me if I would like to join him. He had been on a motorbiking trip around Spain with his friend Tony. Um, 
I can't remember what the trip was about. It involved motorbikes and wine in Spain. And, uh, <laughs> That's enough said. Leave it there. Yeah. yeah, leave it there. No more needed. And uh, he was driving through the Spanish countryside and he kept seeing, you know, people with backpacks walking through fields and stuff. Um, and he... he asked what it was all about and the locals said that's the Camino de Santiago de Compostela they're pilgrims and this is going back way way back and uh, he was interested and he always will tell you his first Camino was on motorbike because he would wiggle in and out of the Camino but obviously as we know that's not uh, that's not what a real pilgrim is you can't be on a motorbike but anyway he came back to Ireland and I was uh, I had just turned 16 and I was sitting in uh, the playroom here in my family home um, watching TV and I was in a grumpy mood and I'd been in school and my mum probably said something like oh Natasha's in a bad mood or something <laughs> and dad came <laughs> dad came into me in the playroom and he said would you like to go on a walk and I looked at him I was probably watching you know, MTV or some stupid program, you know, and I was like, no, I don't want to go on a walk. <laughs> and he said, oh, well, it's in, it's in Spain. And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. When? What, what, what's that? And he sort of hooked me into this thing. Um, and that, that was kind of it, you know, that was it. How fantastic. So how long between that conversation in the TV room at home and stepping onto the Camino, what was the timeline? How long did it take you to to actually get up and get on the Camino? Probably four months. Okay, so did you do lots of preparation? I mean, did you get swept up in it all or did Dad do it all? Oh, Dad did absolutely everything for me. I wasn't going to lift a finger for nobody. (laughs) Um, He did everything. Um, That was the first time around now. This is when I was 16. Um, So he did everything. I literally just showed up kind of thing um you know we flew out to I, I we we got to Santander and then we got the train and we started our first Camino we started in um Leon and walked to uh Santiago de Compostela so I think we were walking for about god am I, I it was either five day yeah I think it was maybe five or seven days it was only, it was a short one yeah but it, it was enough it was enough for my father and I to be hooked for the rest of our life. You know, um, the book starts with you and your father traveling to County Mayo. And I've been to County Mayo. And, and you walked, I suppose, in the footsteps of St. Patrick in, in some ways. Indeed, there are relics, and you talk about it in the book, relics found in Mayo tracing back to those days. And some say... St. Patrick brought Christianity to Ireland and we've been drinking a toast to him every March since. (laughs) And the Camino is walked in the name of St. James. So how well known is the Camino in Ireland? Um, I suppose it it has changed drastically in in a short amount of time. When when my father and I first did it, uh, when I was 16, um, back in 2008, I think it was, or seven, no, maybe six, um, it, I didn't, I never heard of it. Yeah. I really had never heard of it and it wasn't really that popular of a thing. Um, but in the past, I'd say 10 years, um, it's really become quite popular. I think... I think that movie by Emilio Estevez was a big one for putting mm. it on the 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 um, 
on the marker. Um, but it's it's strange how it wasn't more um, known because it connects two things that are very um, very much loved here in Ireland, and that is religion and hiking. Um, but I would say it is it is very well known now, and there are Camino. Um, walking groups all over Ireland like little clubs uh, and there's lots of websites and you know it is spoken about but I you know 10 years ago I, I wouldn't have said it was well known you know my dad is a, is a journalist and he's been a journalist for you know over 30 years and he didn't know about it if you want to put it like that there you go. Yeah, I'm going to get to your dad and his journey as well. But you, we talked about County Mayo there. Um, and why did you, I guess, start your pilgrimage there? Like you knew about the Camino. Why did you want that Irish element to kickstart it? Um, because technically speaking, it is the beginning of the, the um, Camino. Um now, I would have to go and uh, reverse back to my book for this because I'm not so good with the history of it all. But me and my mum and dad and my brother have been going down there for years, every summer. A huge, huge, huge um, love for the place. But um, there you have the mountain Crowpatrick, um, which is, you know, a fairly famous mountain in, in regards to Ireland. Not that would take much because we're such a small country, but, you know, it's high and it. It's it's uh it's got a great um it's got a great uh, hike up it and people do it you 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 know you have Reek Sunday and it's I think it's it must be Easter so it's around St Patrick's Day or Easter or something like that and you hike up to the top of um, Crow Patrick and at the top of Crow Patrick there is a little church and you know over the years it's become this really sort of symbolic religious um, you know pilgrimage type mm-hmm. thing. And I, I know I'm I'm not going to get this right, but there's something to do with with uh, Saint James of the Camino of Santiago. There's something there's there's a correlation there. Um, and my dad, when we did the Camino, the the big, the full full Camino from start to finish, he didn't want to just start um, at the start Saint Jean Pierre de Paul. He wanted to start as the sun was rising on the top of Crow Patrick as the sun was rising over in Santiago de Compostela and we hiked Crowpatrick at, I think, you know, some stupid o'clock. It was like 4 a.m. or earlier so that when we reached the peak of the reek, the sun was rising and we then descended and got straight on a plane and flew and began our Camino. So you're saying Crow, Crow Pat, is that C-R-O-A-G-H? That's correct, yeah. Yeah, and then you say we, we climbed to the top of the Reek. Is that R R W E K? Is that like the, the yeah. that's not a word I'm familiar with, Reek. Oh, it's like um so you have a mountain um and there is you know like a like a saddle or a shoulder where oh, okay. the, the, the yeah, the mountain will go down and then up again right. and the reek is sort of what you what you walk along and climb. Oh there you go. So then you made your way then after seeing the sun come up uh, in County Mayo and you made your way to France and St. Jean-Pied-de-Port to begin the Camino Francaise. Uh, the book then tells the story. Um, can, you, can you remember, did, what did you expect to feel or find on the Camino in the, on that journey? 
Um, I can tell you what I I didn't expect to find. That's probably easier. Yeah. Um, I didn't expect to. Um, I didn't expect to find this this world of um, vulnerable humans where all of our walls and barriers are immediately taken down purely by the, by the fact that you are both pilgrims and we are both walking here together. And, you know, I, I found that everyday walking was like another therapy session, you know. Everyone was just so open to one another and, as I said, you know, vulnerable and uh, in some way or another healing. Um, and so the, the enormous emotional side was what I was not expecting. I think what I was expecting was, you know, to hang out with my dad, who I get on with very well, mm. and meet a few people, walk, mm. which I've always loved. I've, I love walking, you know, and drink wine along the way. But it was just... The emotional side of it, uh, still, like, you know, as I'm thinking about it and talking to you about it right now, I can see, I can feel my, my myself choking up a little bit. It's just this power that I can't, it's very, very hard to describe to somebody that doesn't know anything about the Camino, but it is quite remarkable, the strength of that pilgrimage on your emotional um, self. So what expectation did you have of your relationship with your father on the Camino? Um, I, don't, I don't know if I had any sort of expect... I guess I hadn't really thought about my relationship with my dad until we started walking the Camino together. You know, we have the same humour. We'll always make each other laugh. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I've always, I've always got on with my father really, really, really well. But I suppose, you know... Somebody asked my dad um, while we were walking the Camino, um, you know, why why are you t- walking the Camino with your daughter? And he said something along the lines of, because I know, I know what it is going to give her. I I know what this experience will mean to her um, when she's older, and I think that's it. You know, I the 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 moments that my dad and I had on that Camino you know, on all the Caminos that we've have are second to none. And I think, you know, after the first time, I think I just said yes to every Camino because mm-hmm. I knew that it was going to be yet more amazing, priceless memories for my father and I and, uh, you know, strengthening our already very strong relationship, I guess. How many Caminos have you walked together? Together, we've done six. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, or it's, it, I think maybe I've done six altogether. Dad and I have done. Yeah, it's it's five or six. You know, different Great. little caminos. You know, whether it was um, you know two hundred kilometers or the full whack, or whether it was the Portuguese camino, or whether it was that. Or yeah, yeah, we've done a few now. <laughs> the front cover of the book shows the pair of you walking, um, and you both just look so happy. <laughs> you do, don't you? It's such a great picture. It's like, oh wow, what a fantastic journey <laughs> together. And together is a very important aspect of it, isn't it? It is. Um, it is very important, and I, I think a lot of people walk the Camino um, alone. 
Um, and that's usually because they need to get away and find themselves and fix something that perhaps isn't going well in their yeah. life. Um, yeah. But the people that do it with somebody else, uh, who that person is, is very important because it is a very, very, very special journey. And you don't want to do it with any, you know, Tom, Dick and Harry that's going to get on your nerves. So for me to do it with my dad was just particularly uh, special. Um, Gosh. And, you know, dad, when we did our first one when I was 16, dad was uh, 50 something, you know. And people along the way, whether they were, you know, newly engaged couple or whether they were, you know, two best pals, you know, we would we would be the more exciting couple to them, I suppose, um, in the albergues because, you know, mm. people would be like, oh, my God, like you're a 16 year old girl. You're walking this with your 50 something year old dad. Like it was that we were an unlikely pair <laughs> to find across <laughs> the Camino. But um, <clears throat> I think we were um, one of the more special pairs because it was, it was very sweet, you know, that a father and daughter would do that. Um, yeah. And I think, uh, you know, for anybody listening to this podcast, any any father or daughter or mother or son, to do it with your child is extremely uh, special. Yeah. Yeah. The book tells the stories of the people that you meet along the way. Would you agree with my assessment in the opener the pilgrims walk with love. The pilgrims of the Camino are like a different breed of human, I think. Um, <clears throat> whatever a, um, a pilgrim is, is walking for, is, there is some love in there. You know, whether they are running away from a disaster at home or being fired or losing a loved one or, you know, getting out of jail... Whatever it is, if they're on the Camino, they are walking with some love, with some amount of love. There there is love there. There is love in everything along the Camino. And I think, um, you know, when I was walking the Camino, one of the very common questions that uh, we were asked and that I asked was, why are you walking the Camino? And the, um, the answers you would get back are you know, they'll, they'll stay with you forever and they are riddled with love. Yeah. I, I found no matter how tired and exhausted I was, I could always rely on a cold beer with friendly faces from around the world at the end of the day. It's, it's, it's a kind of magic, isn't it? It is. And I think in your intro, you said Camino family and, that is, we, my dad and I, we would always mention the Camino family and you, it's what I was, it's kind of what I was saying earlier, you know, you can find yourself being so open and so vulnerable and so willing to share with your fellow Camino family because there's something that you um, share together with this stranger and that is the fact that you are both pilgrims and you are both making this um, pilgrimage together um, for some reason or another and I suppose when your fellow pilgrim is asking you um, you know why are you heartbroken and why did your marriage not end it's easier to answer answer it there than it is back in your hometown when your mother-in-law is asking you or something you know what I mean like it's just this sort of 
instant bond um, between one another and it is so special that that, that bond with your fellow um, pilgrims is quite unbelievable. I remember sitting in Port Tamarin and, and uh, a German girl came and sat down beside me and she said, oh, can I sit beside you? And I said, sure. And she said, oh, you know, and she started to tell me this most extraordinary story of the hardship she was having at home. And she talked for like 10 minutes and then she finished and she said, oh God, I've been wanting to say that to somebody for years. I finally said it. And I didn't know what to say. I'm not no social worker. And I said, well, uh, you know, I'm pleased to be your sounding board. And she said, oh, my God, I've got it off my chest. I just Gosh. wanted to say it. And I thought, yeah. I thought, how fantastic. In this town in the middle of Spain, I was tens of thousands of miles from home. She was certainly thousands of miles from home, but it was just so beautiful to think that she had or felt the courage just to say it to a stranger, which I thought was just so lovely. I, I, and just in terms of um, did, you, did you and your dad walk together each day or did you sometimes drift apart? Oh, we, God, there's a funny story in there now. Uh, we started every day together. Um, but we wouldn't necessarily end our walking day together because usually, Ned, if dad ever hears this, he'll be annoyed for me for saying this, but <laughs> usually I would finish before him. Right. Um, just because I'm a speedy little thing and obviously I'm younger, but dad is a very good walker but yeah we would we would separate and we would we'd sort of wiggle wiggle in and out of each other's um daily pilgrimage and we would chat to people along the way and but yes there would be there would be like four hours where we'd be one beside each other right beside each other um but yeah we, we we switched it up you know we switched it up we didn't you know I didn't stop to pee when he he stopped to pee kind of thing. You know, we woke up each day and we said, right, let's go. And we would go to sleep each night having drank wine together. And I might have met people along the way that he didn't even see. I think it's fantastic. I really do. I think it's just so beautiful. Now, there's a, there's a great passage in the book about running with the bulls. Oh, God. Why, well, don't, why don't you tell us that story? God, it's so funny. Um, we, <laughs> we have come to this place called um, Estrella. Yeah. Um, and it is the um, running of the bulls capital of the world. You know, a lot of people think that it's... Well, actually, maybe I'm getting this wrong. A lot of people think of Pamplona when they yeah. think of running of the bulls. But I think this place, Estrella, is maybe the starting point or, you know, there, there's something uh, with the running of the bulls in this town. And Dad and I... Got there, um, you know, whatever. We usually stopped walking at about two o'clock each day because we got up so early. So we get to this place, you know, seemingly very small little village, check into Albergue, you know, blah, 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 blah. The next morning we go to leave and it's like a different world. You know, the streets are all blocked off. Everybody's wearing white and have these little red scarves around their necks. And we're like, what the hell's going on? And uh, Dad is a—he's a—he's a great man for adventure, and he's also, you know, 
very nosy, like myself, I suppose. And, uh, you know, he just started asking, what's going on, what's going on, what's all this about? And they were like, oh, it's the running of the bulls. You know, the streets are blocked off and the bulls are going to run through here. And, you know, the men in the white shirts and the little red neck scarves are going to run. And Dad was like, oh, my God, this is fantastic. And we didn't realise that we had walked into the beginning of this this festival. Um, uh, God, what's it called? Like Santa... Santa Man or something. Yeah. And uh, Dad was like, Tash, we have to stay for the running of these bulls. We, we cannot leave. And I was like, yeah, absolutely, grand, sure. So we pack up our bags and we find a little spot along the, uh, the, the, the runway, I suppose you could call it. And we're standing there. And we put our bags down and dad, dad said i'm i'm going to i'm going to jump over the fence and i'm going to run the bulls and i was like dad are you joking me he's like no 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 i'm going to leave my bag here i'm going to jump over the fence and uh, i'm going to run with the bulls and i was like well i'm sure as hell not waiting here alone so let's go do it together so the two of us hopped over the fence and we were standing with a group of northern irish lads at the time these three boys andrew gary and um sugar what's the other guy's name Anyway, and, uh, you know, Dad said, stay here with the bags. And the lads were like, okay, yep. Two of us hop over the fence. And, you know, there's this little, you know, girl and his father with a band of, you know, sexy, young, athletic-looking Spaniards. And they're all in white shirts and red scarves. And there's us in our hiking boots. And, like, all the people along the side of the fence, you know, they were shouting, like, no, no, chica, and all this kind of stuff. And before we could think any more, there goes the gunshot and we look behind us and there's this rumbling of um, bull feet coming around the bend. And then, then we saw them. And I think dad's final words to me were, Tash, if you fall, roll to the side. Don't let them trample on you. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that was the moment when I thought, mum's going to kill me. <laughs> or mum's going mom's gonna to kill dad. <gasps> That is so great. That is such yeah. a great story. I, I and then you ended up parading in a fi- oh in a fiesta. What, what the? <laughs> and we were on the front cover of the their their national newspaper. Yeah. Or so we did the running of balls, and it was so it was so funny. Like I I don't know how far Dad got to, but. I remember hearing the bulls getting closer and closer to me and exactly as dad said, like I just saw, I saw a doorway at some point and I just went into the side of there and let the rush go by because I was kind of like, this is a little bit scary. But I think dad might have made it all the way to the, to the courtyard or something. I'm not sure. But anyway, it was gas crack and it was brilliant. And I think it was then afterwards, might have been before, I can't remember because it's quite a while ago now, but there was some sort of parade or march or whatever. And we were just like, right, yeah, let's get involved here. And uh, we just sort of invited ourselves into this march and, you know, put our hands on some sort of pole or whatever to look like we were contributing. <laughs> and next thing I know, we're, we're, we're again in this sea of uniformed men. And there's us, like me with my Ray-Bans and dad with his like silly little hat. And a photographer obviously saw that and thought, God, that's a really interesting image. And sure, there we were on the front of the newspaper <laughs> that's fantastic that is just such a great story honestly the book is so beautiful it's such a great read and we'll get to the talk we'll talk about that in a minute but um i should have asked you sooner are you and your dad religious people natasha 
Mm, that's a good question. Uh, no, we're not. I would say I'm reluctant to use the word atheist now, but I would I would say there is sort of like no religion there with me. And um, interestingly with my dad, and I didn't know this until we did um, the Camino where we wrote the book. I think my dad did have a relationship with religion and he lost it. Um, along the way, or perhaps with the death of his mother, which he sort of really struggled with. My granny was a, a very beautiful, um, pure kind of woman. I wish I knew her better, but I was quite young when she died. But, you know, she was very um, athletic and useful, and she played tennis and did gymnastics and all this kind of stuff. And she died far too early. She was in her 70s, but, she, you know, it, it was... It was awful when she died and she had this beautiful relationship with nature and she would have been religious. And I think when she died, something happened, something changed in my dad. Um, and I remember dad saying, because I think I asked him when we were walking the Camino, I said, dad, are you religious? And I, he said something along the lines of, I'm jealous of people who believe in God because I think it's quite beautiful to... Um, think of you know a greater good that is looking out for us and I would agree with him there I think that's quite a lovely concept but he find, he thinks his religion is you know in nature and in his connection with wildlife and I would say the same thing you know I don't necessarily believe in praying to God or, or knowing that there's a you know a man up there looking out for us but I certainly will find um, my religion you know when I'm watching you know uh, uh, an animal, you know, eating grass or, you know, I'm standing at my back door right now here in Ireland and the sort of day is just awakening and the birds are singing and, you know, the, the, the world is still sleeping and I'm standing here. That's kind of, you know, what my father and I would find our religion in, I suppose. It's that connection that you would have when the world is still asleep and the birds are up and you feel peace and that kind of thing. But it wouldn't be in a in a higher power like a god or whatever. What did you make then of the churches that you wander into on the Camino? Oh my God, the churches, like Jesus Christ, my dad is just an absolute. <laughs> that was probably not <laughs> like, the right answer, but go on. <laughs> yeah. My, the, my dad is an absolute fiend for a good church. Like ever, ever since we were young, every single bloody family holiday when we were kids like we'd be going through a town and dad would be like oh look there's a church we'll just go in there and me my brother and my mum were like for god's sake this is the fifth church why do we have to go into every bloody church that we find <laughs> and of course the Camino he was like a pig and shit he was like oh this is brilliant there's churches all along the way this is brilliant and we, we'd be walking and I'd see a church on the horizon and I'd be like oh here we go and before dad could even say it I'd be like yeah we can go into that church and he would go in and, you know, the smaller and more random the church, the better for him. You know, like, oh, yeah. why is this here? Yeah. Why is this church here? Who, who? And I'm standing there being like, who cares why it's here? Let's go, you know, kind of thing. And he's yeah. like, no, Natasha, you know, why is this here? And, and so when we were, when we wrote the book together, it worked quite well because he did, the, you know, the sort of historical, religious, you know, research background. Whereas I was just like, we went walking today and there were lots of flowers, you know. Yeah, yeah. And he he was just obsessed with the churches. He just, he loved it. He found, I would say, you know, Dad would probably say he finds churches very romantic. Um, 
and he loves the idea of them. Why are they there? And this and that. So he would probably answer that question better. Whereas I'm just like, I really don't know what I feel about churches. It's probably just this dying resentment from being dragged through a million churches from when I was younger. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever get lost? <laughs> You know we did. You read the book. Exactly. <laughs> Go on. Yeah. So we got, we definitely took a wrong turn <clears throat> at some some point. But the, the one where we got lost or separated was my dad, as usual. I was ahead of my dad. And when we did the big long one, we I didn't have a smartphone or an iPod. I didn't have any technology with me. And so we would rely on just guaranteeing that at the end of the day, we were going to end up in the same albergue or whatever. And I thought dad was ahead of me, but dad was behind me. So every town I got to, I would go to the main albergue and I'd be like, oh, you know, did a, did a Peter Murta check in? And they were like, no, no. So I, I would keep going. I kept walking. And it was when we were going through the Spanish desert that I set up. So it was like, you know, flat, hot, mm. sort of unforgiving conditions. And long story short, I think it was, you know, three or four o'clock in the day. And I think somebody in this albergue said something like, your father is behind you and he's looking for you. And I immediately was like, oh, I'm in so much trouble. <laughs> and a very, very sunburned, very furious father eventually got to this albergue 47 kilometers later <sighs> and was absolutely fuming with me. <laughs> and so we were basically playing cat and mouse. Like I was chasing him or so I thought, and he was chasing me, but I just kept going and going and going. And yeah, that was definitely one of the times where dad was most furious with me ever. He was so angry. But there was another time where we took a wrong turning or something and we had to backtrack, but I can't really remember it. But that time when we got separated uh, was pretty hilarious for me, not so much dad. <laughs> Tell me about the simplicity of a pilgrim's life, the the couple of things in your backpack and and not really having to worry about any of those material things that we worry about at home. Mm. Yeah, well, I think my dad would be a great one to talk about this because uh, he's a very, very, very um, simple man in the sense that he doesn't need much to live a happy life. And when when I was packing, you know, I was like, oh, what should I bring? And dad was like, oh, all you need is just two pairs of socks, two underwear, two T-shirts and two shorts. We can wash everything every night. And I was like, oh, for God's sake, dad, like, we don't live in the bloody, like, 20s. I can bring a little bit more than that. And um, we always laughed. Well, no, we didn't laugh at the time, but I brought, like, a towel. And my dad was like, ah, you, don't, you don't need a towel. You just need a, a little bit of cloth to, to dry yourself after the shower. And I was like, don't be ridiculous. Like, well, I'm going to need a towel. And sure enough, along the Camino, I would wake up in the mornings and dad would have showered. And whose towel is lying there? Wet. It's mine. He was using my <laughs> towel. And there I was thinking he was going to be this amazing frugal man with a little face cloth wiping his armpits. But no, he was just like, oh, she's still sleeping. I'll just use her towel and it'll be dry in five minutes. 
But, you know, we did bring very little. We brought very, very little. Uh, you know, like I said, I had no technology with me whatsoever, which was amazing. Um, I brought, I think, a pair of flip-flops and shoes. And yet it, we brought very, very little. And we didn't need anything more. Because as long as you have a good pair of shoes and, mm. you know, a good, back, yeah. a good bag, you, you really don't need any more. Because, as you said, Dan, the simplicity of the pilgrimage is what you must cherish the most i suppose it doesn't need any uh, it doesn't need a facelift it doesn't need to change i hope i hope the communion never changes because it is that simplicity that you think you know in this ever-changing world where everything is moving more towards technology and we all want things quicker faster and easier yeah you know life on the camino is slow and it slows down and there is you don't need anything because everything that you need is there it's it's in the people it's in your mind it's in who you're walking it with it's in you know the flowers along the way and yeah. it, it, you know it's in all this kind of stuff when we shortly after we had ran with the bulls in Estrella um we, we met this uh, old man and he was sort of like the hero of the village. He was really, really old and he invited dad and I up to his house, his little farmhouse, right after we'd run with the bulls. Um, I guess we'd, we'd, we'd gotten word of mouth around the town that said there was these two Irish nutters that just ran with the bulls. So <laughs> this, um, this little hero wanted to bring us up to his farmhouse and he would make uh, walking sticks with gourds on them and he he couldn't speak English and we couldn't speak Spanish. So the, the whole interaction was completely silent. But there was a moment where dad, it was when this man was showing me his gourds and dad turned away um, to look out over the valley because he was getting very emotional. And I think he says it in that book, you know, it was in that moment where dad was watching this old man uh, show me how he made these walking sticks and these gourds. And it was then that he realized that this Camino was showing me that, you know, Dundrum Shopping Centre and Ugg boots and designer clothes meant absolutely nothing anymore to me. There was this beautiful interaction with this old man that was showing me a um, a thing that was in his family and in his history for years and years. And I was fascinated with it. And it wiped out all of the other you know, um, materialistic things that would have been high on my um, priority list as a kid growing up. And on the Camino, it just strips everything back and it brings you back to earth and realigns all of your values and makes you realise what's important and what's not. And it's certainly not money um, or spending money on things that will make you appear like you have your shit together more than others. You know, it's, it doesn't matter. And nothing matters on the Camino other than... Um, you know, you you and yourself and your connection with that walk. Yeah. The book in many ways is about family and the bond between a loving, adventurous father and his daughter, who in many ways was ready to embrace the world. The book in the book you're nineteen what do you make of that quote that I said at the top of the interview? Fathers, be your daughter's first love and she'll never settle for anything less. <laughs> yeah, I think that would, um, <laughs> that would be good in terms of me and dad's relationship. I think he always said, um, you know, 
he always said that oh I did I didn't I didn't need a, a man sure I was gonna I was gonna marry him like you know in a sort of way that dad was always going to be you know the man in my life so to speak yeah. um, and I I don't really know how to put it into words but I guess you know my father is possibly one of the best people that I've ever really met um, in my life in that I've always admired him um, in a in a in a sort of career base you know he's yeah. a journalist and I always yeah. wanted to be a journalist but in a way that uh, you know dad has always taught me the important things in life um, what sh- what should matter and what should be of my focus and you know he's he doesn't really get distracted by, you know, the bullshit of, of the world. And, you know, he would always encourage me to go on walks and, yeah. you know, educate myself and all this kind of stuff. And I suppose, yeah, my father has just really been um, someone that would always make me feel safe and um, comfortable. And, yeah, I mean... <laughs> Any man that comes into my life, like if dad doesn't like them, they can get back on the boat, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) Where is, I was going to ask where your dad is now, because he's a celebrated writer and newspaper editor. And in many respects, I suppose, Natasha, it must have been daunting writing with him. Um, I think if I was asked now, to, to write with dad, I would be, I would feel the pressure more. But because I think I, I was, I was 17 when we were writing it. I turned 18 when it was published, I think. Um, so back then I was just very sort of in my own little world and I was like, yeah, dad's a journalist, but whatever, I can write too. You know, I was totally, I was totally unaware of the sort of the pressure of comparison and yeah. all this kind of stuff. And I just remember, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of each day, because we wrote along the way, we bought this little uh, MacBook thingy or notepad and we would write every day. So it was great because then by the time, when we were finished, the book was essentially written. But at the end of each day, I would say, Dad, can you just read over what I wrote? And so he'd read it. And I don't think he ever said, oh, that's shit, because I think he wanted my side to be this um, this sort of juvenile, young voice he didn't want it to be a structured and edited thing like mm. his possibly would have. Like, I think that's the beauty of the book. It is, is indeed. Dad, yeah, it, you know, Dad is obviously a very good writer and he had an idea of what he was going to say. He had an idea of his what he wanted his narrative to be. Whereas quite literally at the end of each day when it was my turn to write, I'd put the laptop in front of me and I'd just be like, okay, so at the beginning of the day and then I just talk <laughs> like my brain, you know, like, yeah, like yeah, you do. in my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, th- th- I didn't feel any pressure uh, writing alongside Dad because, you know, uh, I didn't think about it. I didn't mm. think about it, you know. Yeah. Um, and now I think it would it wouldn't be as good now because I would uh, I would think about it and I would realize oh shit dad you know very good writer my spelling isn't the best and I'd probably change my writing whereas you know in that book it is so clearly 
what is in my head. Like, yeah. and it's literally like a train of thought. And I think that's the beauty of it. Well, it's interesting you just said that because the next line that I've written here in my script is, it's beautifully written. Uh, because, That's because That's nice. yeah, there's a there's there is a great sense of a father and a daughter, and of course there is this great experience and there's you know somebody with a great experience in writing and somebody who is streaming consciousness in many respects because mm. because that's what you were doing, that's what yeah. you were experiencing, and that's precisely what the book manages to capture, which is which is really beautiful. What about today, Natasha? Do you, do you often reflect on the Camino together? Um, I would say it, it comes up a lot. It does. Does it, yeah. Um, and I think before I, I went travelling, like I, I was saying, Natalia ended up in Guatemala, I went travelling right after university for, you know, just shy of four years on my own. Um, so that would kind of come up for me, a little bit more now because that that was the biggest you know journey that I've ever done in my life I guess but before then the Camino with dad was definitely you know a huge focal point in in both of our lives and now I suppose since I've come home you know there's I think we're going to go off in September and do um a different part of the Camino but I think to answer your question it is a huge um, a focal point in both of our lives. It's something that we have done together yeah. multiple times. And, you know, it, it did something different for both of us. You know, I suppose I'll never really know what it did for my dad. Uh, it definitely was something that gave him peace with the death of his mother or perhaps the death of his relationship with religion or lack of relationship with religion. Um, it gave him you know, a stronger relationship with me and vice versa. But, you know, what it gave to me was a really, really, really good um, starting point for, I guess, figuring out what's important in my life and what's not. And for a 16-year-old to be given that by the Camino while she's with her father is something that I can never, ever, ever put a price tag on because... It's definitely um, helped sculpt the woman that I am today, I suppose. Um, and I know that if I'm lucky enough to have children uh, one day, I will 100% be walking the Camino with them. Honestly, you, you, you speak so beautifully and you, 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 you articulate so perfectly um, <laughs> what so many of Thank us you. think. No, I really mean that. Um, and I know you're a writer and, and a journalist. You, you're used to telling stories. That's what you do for a living. Um, but, yes. but you do tell those stories so beautifully, Natasha. So, so let me just take a step back from your relationship with your father and, and in a more wider sense talk about the Camino itself. What do you tell mm-hmm. people when they ask about the Camino, your friends and people that you meet, perhaps <laughs> colleagues who ask about the Camino? What do you tell them? I think, you know, when when somebody says, uh, you know, why did you walk the Camino? Or or why would you walk the Camino? I think um, a great place to start in explaining or talking about the Camino is if you um, need to figure something out in your life, walk the Camino. If you are heartbroken, 
walk the Camino. If you are unemployed and you've lost your house and you don't know what to do, walk the Camino. If you're about to get married and you're unsure, walk the Camino. It is this thing that gives you time alone with yourself to figure everything out. I mean, it really is just this, this thing that, that fixes you or helps you fix yourself. It's like, um, and I didn't know that before I walked it, obviously. I just thought like, oh yeah, I'm going on a walk with dad, cool. Yeah, <laughs> holiday in Spain. <laughs> and I, I came back like this little Buddha. <laughs> no. no, but it, it is this thing that um, I'd say it, it, um, it reconnects your relationship with the world and with nature and with yourself. And it completely, it's like, a, it's like pressing restart on your system. And I think, you know, that's what I would say about the Camino to people. You know, they're like, so what's it like every day? You know, what, what, you know, what, it, how long do you walk for? Where do you start? How did you plan it? And dad and I are gas, you know, like, okay, dad did plan it, but each day, you know, we woke up and we just walked and we didn't, you know, bring snacks or any of the stuff. Like we barely had bottles of water. We just, you just get up each day and you walk and you figure it out along the way. And I think that's a great um, image to create for the Camino in general. You figure it out along the way and you just start, just get there and start walking and the rest will fall into place. What do you think was the greatest reward? I think the greatest reward for me was um, what it did to uh, me and dad's relationship. I believe that whatever happens um, in my life in the future, you know, God forbid anything happened bad between dad and I, you know, bad blood or we fell out. I think it would be impossible to have permanent damage there purely because of what the Camino did for our relationship. It um, gave us a bond that I'll never have with anyone or anything else in this world because it was my first Camino. It was, my, you know, his introduction to the Camino and my introduction to the Camino was was together, and we both loved it so much. It wasn't like Dad just loved it and I was tagging along. We both became instantly obsessed with it, and it became, you know, I don't know, like essentially. Well, certainly when I was younger, you know, it was kind of like my Bible or my reference for anything. And I always said, like, if I ever get really confused or lost, I'll go on the Camino. And, you know, I, I remember Dad saying, you know, on the first time, uh, he said, you know, when you meet a man that you think you want to spend the rest of your life with, you better make sure you can walk the Camino with him first. <laughs> and it, yeah, I think I think the best thing it gave me um was the connection with my father, but also with myself. So that, that's such a great answer. Honestly, I've got, <laughs> I, no, no, truly, I have tears in my eyes and, and, and I'm not a crier. But, okay, so that's the greatest reward. What was the greatest challenge, do you think? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I suppose there's... there's um, there's physical challenges and then there's mental challenges. So I suppose the physical challenge for me, you know, I actually don't know if there was a, f Oh, I got, I got really bad blisters at one point, 
But for dad, obviously, because he was older, you know, there were days where his something happened one time where he had a bad ankle or something like that. But generally speaking, physically, there were very few challenges. Dad and I are quite fit. Again, we love hiking. So yeah. there was not going to be an issue there. I suppose if I'm going to answer the question for dad, it would probably be um, death. He, you know, he, he, had to, he had a lot to get over with death because his mum had died and his dad had died and he was struggling with that. And he, that was on his mind. <clears throat> but for me, I, I know this sounds crazy, but I'm not sure I had any challenges. I was just in total <laughs> bliss the whole time. You wow. know? Yeah. I was young. I was young. I didn't have any worries about mm. money or mm. what I was going to do with my life. You know, it, yeah. my, my worries were so benign. You know, it was like, oh, what am I going to study in college? Or, oh, I'm single. You know, all this crap. <laughs> so there was never really... <laughs> oh, actually, you know what, Dan? I'll tell you what my biggest story was. Go on. When I was doing the Camino, I had just finished in secondary school. So I had just done my... I was, I was about to go into college. And here in Ireland, when you finish up in school, <clears throat> you have a thing called a debutante ball. I suppose, I don't know what they call it in um, Australia, but in the States, it's like prom. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And um, because it's at the end of the summer, Dan and I were walking this in the summer. And Dan, my greatest worry along the Camino is that I didn't have a fecking date no. <laughs> for my deb for my debutante ball and as I was getting closer to finishing the Camino I was like what am I going to do like I don't have a bloody date for this feckin' debutante ball I'm going to go alone I'm going to be wearing my stupid green dress and photos will be taken and I'm going to be standing there like a big plum on my own and sure didn't I meet my debutante date along the Camino no I sure did that's fantastic Oh, that is the best story ever. That is just so great. What would you say to somebody thinking of walking the Camino who's listening now? They don't know anything about it. They've found this funny podcast, this Irish girl talking to this Australian guy. What would you say to them who are somebody thinking of walking the Camino? I would say stop thinking and just do it because you won't regret it. What is the Camino story? The Camino story is, on the outside, it is a walk through Spain where you don't need a lot of money and you get pilgrim meals and cheap accommodation and you meet people and you hike. On the inside, the Camino is an opportunity for you to gain something that you won't gain in other, any other aspect of life. Um, whether it's your job, family, opportunity, or travel. The Camino is a completely different category of its own, and it will give you something incredible. And I don't know what that is, and you won't know what that is until you're walking the Camino. Natasha, the book is a celebration of what I was talking about in the, in the introduction to our interview, and that is a celebration of love. And there's no better place to commemorate or celebrate love than on the Camino de Santiago. Congratulations to you and your dad, Patrick, Natasha, and thank you for taking the time to talk to me and my listeners. Buen Camino. Buen Camino. My guest this week was the Irish pilgrim Natasha Murtagh. The book is called Buen Camino by Natasha and Peter Murtagh, M-U-R-T-A-G-H. 
Natasha and Peter Murta. You can find it everywhere online. It is magic. The Camino is magic. And the Camino family is the spell that makes it sing. No one knows who said, Fathers, be your daughter's first love and she'll never settle for anything less. The author is anonymous. But there's a name for the phenomenon, family. Thanks for your company as always. I'm delighted to have the chance to share the Camino with you each week. And I'll be back again next week with a story about the salt of the earth. Until then, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. Camino.